Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting industries. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hey, John. Wasn't our visit to Sirius XM earlier this week in New York City one of the coolest things you've ever seen? <laughs> yes, it was absolutely amazing. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is the head brewer and co-owner of Point Evil Brewing in Fort Myers Beach, Florida. About three years into his first job as a commercial brewer there, he was asked by the owners if he would be interested in buying the brewery. Since taking over with his wife, Brooke, he's built a dedicated following both in southwest Florida and across the state. When Hurricane Ian devastated the region two weeks ago, his customers let him know just how important they think his brewery really is to their community. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Jordan Weisberg. Thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have you on, man. And uh, we're kind of kind of really kind of jump right into this. So before we kind of get into Hurricane Ian and what's happening at the brewery in Fort Myers Beach, we wanted to talk a little bit about your background, just like we do with every other guest on the Beer Hour. So wh- where did you grow up? So I grew up in Port Charlotte. So um so a little bit north of uh, north. where I'm at now. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, yeah. And I started home brewing and uh, I lived in Tampa when I lived in Tampa. Okay. So I guess we can get into that part too. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, do you kind of remember your first exposure to craft beer? I mean, was there a beer that there's always that one that kind of like sparks that, that flame for everybody? Yeah. I feel like that beer was, um, La Fin du Monde, honestly. I think really? I was at a craft okay. beer bar and, I think the uh, the the high alcohol beers were were uh, something that everyone was kind of intrigued by because we were drinking lagers prior to that. So, <laughs> right. so like, so like, uh, yeah. so that was honestly one of the first ones, and it was it's a really great beer, and I still love that beer. So it's, uh, but yeah, it's, I think that would be one of the first uh, exposures to it. Nice, nice, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was trying to think like my mine was like was the Union Pale Ale from Firestone Walker. I mean, it was like, oh, I nice. remember reading like a men's journal, like this was one of the top beers. Like uh, they used to, men's journal used to always release every year, like a top 32 craft beers you should try. And the number one beer was this pale ale for Firestone Walker back in 2005. And I remember yeah. I, I ordered some because obviously Florida at that time had no craft beer um, and getting it in the mail and drinking. I'm like, damn, this, this is better than bud or anything else I've ever had in my life. And that's kind of what led into the next. So it's always those those certain beers that get everything rolling. Did you homebrew? I mean, uh, was was yep. your homebrewing set up? You know, what what was that like, and what were the results of kind of like those early attempts at homebrewing? Because we always have a little bit of funny yeah. stories about that. So that was a pretty that one's kind of a cool story, I guess. My um, so my manager at the restaurant I worked at, uh, he brought in like a pumpkin beer that he made, and I didn't at that point didn't even know you could make beer at home. I was kind of like you know out of the loop with that stuff and. I was uh, at the time a personal trainer, so I was not even really, you know, I, I was, you know, I loved beer, and I was like, you know, that that, you know, it was, I wasn't home brewing, didn't know anything about the the culture really too much, and um, and when I learned that you could homebrew, I loved to cook, so that was like maybe I'd be into that, you know, it sounds like something I'd like. So I, um, you know, uh, for that was October. My parents, uh, not too long after, were like, "Hey, uh, this year, what do you?" What he wants to get you for Christmas? I was like, honestly, guys, you don't need to be getting me anything. But if you do, um, you know, a, a homebrew kit or something. I, I heard that's a, you know something I could do. So um, one of my mom's best friends growing up, her um, her daughter is a master cicerone in uh, New York, and um, and she knew that she was really into beer. So she asked her what kit to get uh, for me because my mom didn't know anything about it either. And uh, so I got a Brooklyn Brew Shop all grain kit from them. Oh damn! Okay. And um, they gave me three kits, and I brewed all three over the weekend. And I was like, "This is awesome!" <laughs> I was in two homebrew clubs in Tampa, so I would just hand them out to everybody, and I would go to, uh, you know, I lived right across the street from Cigar City, so I'd walk over there, and um, and I would uh, share with the bartenders there, which you probably know most of them. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, then, uh, I mean, what what time period are we talking? Yeah, what time period are we talking? Oh man, how long ago was this? This was like I want to say 12 years ago. Yeah, 
I would have um, known everybody there. Because I yeah. used to go up to Cigar City from Miami twice a month. Two weekends okay. out of every month I would go up because, you know, this is 2009. You know, they're doing beer releases and all this stuff. And there was nothing else in Florida. And I'm like, well, damn. If I want trade bait to get other stuff around the country, <laughs> I've actually got to physically go to Tampa like every other weekend and stock up and buy <laughs> cases of stuff. And it was crazy. I remember going to the first Hunapu release, and I thought I think I bought like five cases. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, same with like they did Belita, and then they did uh, – because highlight – I mean, and this was back when they were – they didn't have a tap room. They had the little bar inside where they were fill growlers out of like a uh, out of a cooler top, and then like you could get the little medicine bo- bottle growlers and take them home. And those never really held up well in shipping. But dude, it was it was a journey, man. I mean, it was a journey. Yeah, for I sure. know. It, those are the days of uh, collecting copious amounts of beer and storing them in your closet. Exactly. <laughs> hoping hoping they don't blow up. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, so I actually met um, Chris Johnson and Tyler Singletary because they both worked at the homebrew oh, yeah. store, and um, that's where that's where I was buying all my ingredients. So I was, I was hanging out with Chris a lot, just sitting at the bar. You know, every Tuesday he was there and just kind of chatting about uh, my recipes. And he was he's way more experienced than I was at the time, so it was uh, great learning some some you know some tricks from him. And um, and then yeah, man, we all kind of grew it together. Uh, you know, our brewery opened around the same time as green bench and we you know, did our first collaboration with them. And like, it was cool. We've always kept a relationship with our friends in Tampa since I, oh, yeah. you know, I was all over the place when I was home brewing, but yeah, it's pretty cool to watch how, how it grew. And yeah. And, and it went from there, man. Uh, there's a, I guess the story can keep going on how the home brewing part went, but I ended up moving to Fort Myers where my, um, no, I was actually lined up for a brewing job, uh, at brewer's tasting room in uh, St. Pete. And, uh, it's a place where home <laughs> with, brewers uh, and they did really well with, with Rick. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so when I when I left my job and actually because I had done a bunch of like internships at Cigar City. So two thir- 2013 rolled around and I went to work at Cigar City and on the weekends I would brew at Brewer's Tasting Room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I would brew at <laughs> well, Brewer's was, Tasting Room. So I was there when he uh, when he opened it and um, and we kind of like, you know, uh, Matt was uh, Matt was the brewer at the time. Yep. And, um, and, you know, I, right around the time I was getting ready to like, you know, finally, I've been giving my beer out to everybody. I'm like at Cigar City. I'm like, I really want to get into this. I'll work for free, whatever. Finally got that, you know, it's kind of the way you go if you're just a home brewer or not, you know, trying to work your way up. But, um, the girl I was dating at the time, uh, got uh, accepted to FGCU for a master's program. So I was like, man, I'm going to go somewhere that has no beer, you know, I'm lined up for, you know, a, you know, to be a brewer up here in Tampa was, was like my dream at the time. Oh yeah. And, um, to move to Fort Myers, I was like, man, there's only one brewery. So, uh, I, I went down like a few weeks before I actually moved down and uh, Fort Myers brewing was having a summer fest and it was a homebrew competition. So I brought like 13 beers to enter. Cause I, you know, like I said, I brewed every week. So I had tons of beer to, to throw in this. None of them were to style, really, so I didn't win anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I had a Jamaican curry coconut session ale, like stuff that, like, on- honestly, I didn't even know where to enter them or how that stuff worked at the right. time either. But right. um, but I met I met some people. Um, I, I don't have to go into this yet. I guess I this is, like, the story on how this all started. But I don't know if you're wanting to get into Point Evil just yet or not. Oh, yeah, I mean, because, like, I had read that actually Point Evil was your first commercial brewing job. Like, how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, so, so I met um, – I met this guy at that homebrew competition and he ha- he was telling me there's another brewery opening called pointy bell. And I was like, Oh sweet. So I, you know, found out what was, you know, where, where it was and, uh, rushed over. And, um, and basically there was another homebrew club that I joined down here that was having a homebrew competition at pointy bells. Like, uh, it was before it was even open. It was like three months prior. Right. And, uh, but they, they were, you know, just trying to do like, you know, some outreach, I guess. So I met Walt who was the, you know, the previous, you know, he was the uh, owner at the time. And, um, and I was like, Hey man, um, I will work for free. I just want to like help you out and get into it. And he's like, yeah, man, for sure. I'll see you tomorrow at six. So I started coming here working from six in the morning till about two. And I drove to Naples, which is, you know, an hour and a half away or so. And then, um, and then, you know, I worked a bartending job from like, you know, four to midnight, you know, and and I did that every day for three months. And, uh, so that was October is about when I started. Pony Bell in December is when our grand opening was. And then at that point, he's like, Hey, why don't you just work here full time, man? Because uh, I learned real quickly that he didn't know what he was doing. Right. Um, and uh, so he was opening as, you know, he had a little 10 gallon system. He was going to open the brewery 
with a 10 gallon brewing system. Oh, sh- uh, one of the, he thought that because Sam Calagione did it, he could do it. Uh, <laughs> different <laughs> without, times, without, dude, different times. Oh yeah. He, he read the book, but he didn't really get the, uh, get it right. So anyways, um, it was a, a four barrel system um, is what they ended up getting with another partner. And it was a whole long story about that. But um, so anyways, came in, he wasn't really knowing what he was doing. And so every, every single thing he would do, I would kind of, uh, I'd be like, all right, well, um, you know, it's really, I can do it like, you know, and he would just step back and eventually he just didn't show up at all. Um, you know, after about a month or so, so I got an assistant brewer and from then on, man, I was brewing my recipes, you know, and I, you know, had a couple of flagships that we'd make, but I, I tweak every recipe. I still tweak our flagships, you know, um, you know, depending on, you know, cause hops and things change and whatever else. So, um, Flash forward, you know, four years, I was running the place from front to back. Yep. Um, they hardly ever showed their faces. It was a lot of playing telephone, um, but I ran it like it was my brewery. It was my heart and soul in the place. And right. everyone knew me, but no one knew the owner. It was like kind of that kind of thing. Um, and I think through the power of intention, um, you know, I had always told my, you know, my now, my now wife, um, who I actually met through this place too, which is another story. But, um, you know, I told her like, you know, one day, I'm going to own this place. And I don't, it's kind of a weird thing, but anyways, um, just kind of putting all my effort into it. We ended up taking over, uh, like four years ago. Um, so now we are, uh, owners of the brewery. We still have a partner that lives in Boston, but he's a, uh, you know, a silent partner of right. the business. Um, so yeah. So then now, now we are running this place and it's, it's been great. However, we've gone through all kinds of crap since we uh, took over. Yeah. It's like one year, our chiller breaks next year it's oh, COVID yeah. and, it's just like it's it's been crazy, but you know we've still done better sales than we did when you know it was being ran by know, somebody halfway. else. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you have to so, be all. You either you have to be all the way in or all the way out. You know what I mean? So, there's yeah. no there's no in between or no halfway points yeah. at all. Yeah. So you've built an amazing following on the west coast of Florida and beyond. Can can you now describe like what are your beer offerings like right now at this point? Well, in the past two years. Um, loggers have exploded here yep. which you know yep. i've been i've been brewing them since we opened but they i only would ever have one um because our ipas would way outsell or um you know our we were the first brewery to make sours down here too so we've always had a huge following for sours ipas and um and that's actually it was mainly that for a while i've always had a stout i've always had something like we do a breakfast stout and and um you know a couple of nitro beers but those were the things that sold the most um, the past two years, loggers have boomed here. So, um, and I always figure if I look at what is doing well in Tampa, we're about two years, uh, different, really? uh, apart from really? that where it'll catch huh. up. So I could almost see into the future a little bit. So I, I knew that it was going to, it was going to explode eventually. So I just started laying them out, man. I, I, you know, just recently I had all five tanks full of lager and, um, Damn. So now I've got a lot of German styles on, which is, it's badass because everyone wants it Yep. and they're selling out quicker than our IPAs now. So Jesus it's, uh, it's been, that's been great. It's like a brewer's dream to have like everything you want to, like a variety of lagers to, to choose from, you know? Yeah. So that's awesome. man. So that's where we're at right now. But I've got, you know, I've got barley wine, I've got Imperial stouts. Um, I've got a bunch of barrel aged stuff that we're going to release for our, our nine year anniversary in December. Um, but yeah, just, you know, just, yeah, pretty pretty awesome variety, but um, yeah, like I said, it's like five loggers on right now. So two weeks ago, it became you know air apparent that Hurricane Ian, you know, a monster of a storm, was going to make landfall somewhere on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Fort Myers Beach basically was in the crosshairs. What kind of preparations did you guys make for this thing, man? Um, well, so for the brewery, I I crashed all my tanks to thirty three. Cause this isn't my first rodeo, even no, with a, right. a, yep. even with a storm, I'm like, you know, I, this already happened before. So I, I know, you know, just get those tanks down and, and I, um, kegged what I could from some of them to, um, pack in our coolers full of cold beer, 33 degree beer so that it kept the cooler cold. If, as you know, the more full right. I had it. Right. So I, um, I kind of, that's, that's pretty much all I was able to do at the brewery. We did not expect flooding. So I didn't get as many things off the floor as I wish I would have, um, and then at our house, you know, I took everything that was important and put it on top of tables. I got most of the things out of our shed or well, I shouldn't say most, but, you know, a few things that were most important out of there and put them in our house on top of tables. And and, um, and then, yeah, then we stayed at a friend's house uh, in, you know, further inland. And um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty much all we, we did because we've been warned about storm surge 
for yeah. years and right. we're always like yeah right you know they've cried wolf about it because i know it never happens yep. and so this time it finally did it was the perfect storm literally and um yeah so that's all that's pretty much all we did yeah i mean i think just living down here you hear about that stuff on a constant basis and you're like yeah yeah okay yeah whatever i mean we've heard this for x amount of years and nothing ever happens and then of course you know, September 28th, you know, Hurricane Ian made landfall near Cayo Costa in southwestern Florida as a Cat 4, almost a Cat 5. I mean, I think it was two, two miles It was 2 miles an hour off being of being a, a cat, cat 5. five yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so, like, where did you and, and your family shelter that day? So, uh, we, we have, uh, luckily, so many friends we've met through the brewery. In fact, all of my friends are through the brewery now. Like, you know, we've just... And, you know, these are really, really close friends of ours now, which is, you know, one of the greatest things about owning a brewery, honestly. Um, but, yeah, they uh, everyone reached out for us, a, a place for us to stay. And uh, we chose our, you know, our, our friends, Lucas and Erica, they have kids the same age as ours. So um, so we went to, to their house. And, um, you know, while we were there, they're in one of those neighborhoods that's it's pretty elevated. And um, all the houses are fairly close together. So during the storm, we're like on the porch grilling burgers and you know, playing, playing beer pong, like, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, hurricane party, like had no oh, idea yeah. what was actually going on. Cause, um, you know, the only thing I could watch was I had the Sanibel traffic camera pulled up on my phone Jeez. and they must be a battery, you know, they must have batteries in them or whatever. Cause they're running when I'm watching, I literally turn it on right as the water starts to come across the road from the left side of the road. Right. And within, within five minutes, it completely covered the road. And then water from the other side of, from the bay started covering and yep. coming, meeting in the middle. So there was like this rapid in the middle of the road. And I just, I'm watching it rise like feet. Um, and it, it started to cover the signs and then the, then the power went out on those uh, cameras. Yeah. I think it I actually, made, it actually covered the camera. Oh yeah. It was, it was intense, man. It was a uh, pretty crazy to watch. And we're just like, now we're just, it's all unknowns. We never thought that the the causeway to Sanibel would get destroyed. No, that was so, nuts. You know, even, we just, you know, if I would have known that, I would have brought a lot more with us. And it was, uh, it's pretty scary because, you know, every, all of, you know, my wife keeps journals for all the kids and all these pictures and all these memories. Damn. And she keeps she's the keeper of all that stuff for her family, you know, right. that they're all, you know, not as organized as her. So yeah, that was the, that was super stressful to not know, you know, and not even, know, you know, not know what's going on essentially. But dang, dude. So like when it was all said and done, I mean, Ian was the deadliest hurricane to hit Florida since 1935. Like, how did your you your employees and like customers kind of fare through all this man uh i mean our employees did pretty well um you know it's it's close friends of mine though that lost their homes completely and uh um you know a lot of our customers you know they're um, they're showing me videos of their their roofs caving in they're like showing me videos of water just pouring out of their attics i'm like man like, cause you know, once the roof gets ripped off then just any rainstorm that they're, they're actually getting, they're still getting destroyed cause we're getting rainstorms now yep. and the, yep. the t- people who laid tarps on their roofs didn't do it right. And like, it's just, it's a, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty devastating. Um, but crazy enough, man. So we opened up, well, I don't know. Well, we yeah. opened up the brewery um, soon after, um, with a generator just cause there was nothing around, no, no food, nowhere to go for all these, you know, all everyone working. Right. I'm like, let's get this place opened up. And, um, so, you know, then I'm just, people are coming in and just being so, uh, giving and, and bringing donations and all these things. And, um, it's, uh, you know, and they have nothing and they're still That's doing awesome. all that. It's pretty, pretty crazy. What, I mean, was there, I mean, what kind of damage did you sustain at the brewery and tap room? Um, we got about a foot of water throughout and, okay. um, luckily we're between firewalls and we don't have a lot of like, uh, uh, walls with insulation necessarily in them. Right. So, you know, we're able to dry out the, the ones, you know, on the, our, our main walls. However, you know, everything's wet and, and, you know, fairly destroyed all my, you know, electrical equipment for, you know, my speakers and the music and Jesus. the, and you know, all the internet and all that stuff are, are ruined. Wow. Um, and then like, you know, we're right, right now. The reason I'm in my uh, vehicle right now talking to you is because uh, I've got a crew of uh, friends and family and whatever inside uh, cutting out drywall that's covered in mold and, yep. and uh, getting all that stuff figured out, which I'll, I'll be diving into after after this call. Yeah, I don't but, think um, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I don't think if people really understand like the devastation of, of water and what it can do to a house or a business yeah. like I mean, yeah, it, it, it 
Andrew was not water. Andrew was, was not water. It was wind. It was wind. wind. And it was like it a giant roof. tornado. You and, know what I mean? And but that it was devastating the storm surge, But wa- water yeah. itself, yeah. like I've... Water is... I've had flooding before and like you have to cut out like the bottom foot of all the drywall. Of course. And then redo that because yeah. then you got to worry about mold and all this other crap. And, and the it, dude, flooring, if there's wood wa- under there too. Water is the greatest eroder on, on earth. Like, you know... You, it's horrible. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, especially salt water. Salt water destroys... Yeah. Everything, anything yeah, and everything. That's a lot of what it was. Yeah, my wife's car was parked here. Um, you know, like I said, I figured, you know, we're three feet higher. Usually it floods around us. Right. But, um, yeah, her car got totaled just sitting out here. It had, like, you know, a, a, like five inches of water sitting inside of it. Damn. Um, you know, just, just like, you know, and mostly everyone's vehicles got destroyed. I mean, like, if you, it, it, anyone that was in this area no, no longer has any, any way to drive. It's, it's pretty, that's also, you know, one, it's horrible because there's all these supply drops and all these places giving away free food, but half these people can't even get there unless they walk, you know, it's, wow. it's a, it's a, it's a mess for sure. Damn. That's crazy, man. I mean, how, like, is just the whole area around the brewery just destroyed? Yeah. Um, so you know, there's, you know, where I take my vehicle, there's like auto, auto body shop and, and a mechanic behind us and their whole roof got ripped off. They got tons of water in there. All, all everything's, you know, he got five feet of water inside of his place um, or four feet of water, or whatever he's and he, you know, we're lucky. Like we're a bit higher. Cause that's, that's devastating. It's not like, yeah. there's no, there's no way to like, that's a lot of work. You, know, you everything's destroyed at that point. But um, yeah, every, the neighborhoods behind us, Kelly greens, all of Iona, they got, they just got, uh, I mean, just out. like I said, five to six feet of water throughout everything. And, um, and yeah, all, all the, front, you know, there's just, there's just debris and trash everywhere. And there's not enough people to pick all this stuff up. It's just, it's a, it's, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a big mess, but people are opening up and super resilient. It's crazy. It's crazy how quick things are getting back, you know, and opening back up. Yeah. And, and I imagine now that you guys are, are starting to open back up and, and kind of playing a role in a, in a recovery process as a gathering place, kind of like a safe haven for people to have a beer and kind of take their mind off of things for a few hours. Do you, are you seeing some signs of life of things start to come back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've made it known to, um, to everyone, like, you know, we're taking care of, uh, we're, we're going to buy the beers for the first responders and for any, anyone that's out doing search and rescue or any of those, any, anyone that's doing anything really, honestly, we're like our first few days open, we open with, you know, uh, you know, we, we did half price of our, on our beers and all the proceeds went to our employees. Um, and we had a, I mean, we were packed and we still don't even have AC yet. We're Damn. just, people are loaded in there with fans going and, um, and yeah, man, we've, people are just, they've, they've made it and they've, they've told me they're like, you know, this gave us a glimmer of, of hope when you guys opened up and like gave us like this sense of normalcy that we can like come and have a beer and, and, you know, uh, just, just feel normal for a minute and then go back to ripping out drywall and, and, oh, yeah. and, you know, dealing with all this mess. And, um, you know, I even had a, a search and rescue team come in yesterday that were, uh, you know, we're giving out, we had free burgers set up for people and, um, and they're like, um, we, we drove by and saw your sign. So we, we painted on uh, plywood that said uh, brewery open. And, uh, he said, we, we went by that and he's like, man, like that is honestly what got me through the week. Uh, knowing that after we were done with all this, I was coming in to get a beer. I was like, that's awesome. Man. That is awesome. That's dude. like the whole reason. That's like, awesome. that's what I, that's what I want. You know, I want people to know we're not opening to, to, you know, we don't, we're not trying to just take everybody's money right now. Right. Like this is a time where we're trying to, trying to get back and trying to have a place where some people are, you know, this is where our whole neighborhood hangs out. Like oh, yeah. all of our friends and family and everyone that we've become friends with, we've all met through this brewery. And um, so this is like, a, it's an important place for us all just to have some sanity, you know, and, oh, yeah. and stuff like this. But, that's awesome, man. So I got a question. How can our listeners around the country help with the recovery effort? So we've been, we've been working with a community cooperative. Um, they're, in, they're in downtown Fort Myers, but they deliver uh, supplies uh, to people all over Fort Myers that need it. Okay. Um, 100% of uh, donations and everything goes straight to uh, relief and recovery uh, okay. in Southwest Florida um you know they've been already helping thousands of people that were impacted by the storm and they're right. ramping it up right now to help people recover and get back to work nice. um but they can uh, anyone could donate to leecountystrong.com leecountystrong.com uh, okay yep and um and that's 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 an organization that you know like i said 100 percent of donations are going towards uh getting things done um so uh, that's where that's where we just delivered uh four truckloads uh just a few just an hour ago we nice. just uh, went down there and, and uh, we have another 
I think three or four are coming from someone's bringing a bunch from Tampa and okay. we have stuff coming from up north. And so everyone's bringing stuff here and we're just dispersing it uh, to where it needs to go. What do you what what kind of supplies are you guys taking? Like, what do you need right now? Right now, we need everything for uh, like babies. So uh, formula, diapers, um, UIs, yeah. diapers, the, they said the, the larger, larger size diapers uh, right now are what they need. Um, they don't need any more clothes, really. Okay. Um, and water is pretty uh, okay at the moment, okay. but uh, canned goods, um, right. Right. you know, and, and canned you know, foods. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Yeah. I got one last question for you, brother. What have you learned through this disaster about the strength and resilience of the people that you serve and the people that work for your brewery? Uh, man, I, I have a whole new, you know, um, outlook on humanity. That's for sure, man. Right. People are, have been, I mean, literally bringing tears to my eyes thinking about it. Like the amount of people that literally have nothing that have been um, just, you know, given hooking our bartenders up because they know that they're essentially losing their season this year and maybe next year's, you know, right. and that's what we all kind of look forward to is, is, you know, uh, December yeah. to April. And yep. There's no homes left on these islands. So they've lost it. So Damn. a lot of people have been, you know, uh, helping them out. Um, just in, like I said, people who've lost it all are still here giving so much and like, you know, and um, I'm just watching people helping other people when they already, I mean, I've, I have people who lost their homes that are here helping me rip drywall out. I'm like, guys, let me help you. Like, I right. don't understand why, you know, it's why you're here. It's just, yeah. just crazy. Like, and we're not the most important thing here, man. I, I like, I, I want to help everyone around us. I, I don't want the brewery to be anyone's, uh, you know, you know, main thing right now. Cause beer is, is great. And it definitely can help, uh, in hard times, but you know, I, I know there's people all around us that need a lot more. So it's, it's pretty crazy. It just how, um, awesome people are right now. And, um, yeah, I mean, I love, I love this area. I think the, the people here are super resilient and, um, just um you know really look out for each other that's awesome man and it's definitely a positive thing moving forward and everybody that's listening you can help out by giving to leecountystrong.com so do that and we really want to thank you for your time i know i know you got a lot to do brother and uh i wish you (laughs) wish you all the best and luck and like i said earlier when we were talking we definitely need to get this uh this collaboration beer going so we can donate the proceeds to to help you guys out over there man Let's do it, man. All right, brother. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. And uh, stay strong, man. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, we got it, man. Keep you in your thoughts, man. (laughs) All right, brother. Have a good day, man. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest co-founded Omega Yeast, one of the country's leading suppliers to the craft beer and home brewing industries. With offices in St. Louis, Missouri, and a lab in Chicago, Illinois, Omega's team of microbiologists and brewers produce fresh, high-quality, and pitch-ready liquid yeast for pro-brewers and home brewers alike. Several of the 75 strains that they produce can't be found anywhere else. Having a clue what I'm talking about? Get ready to geek out. Our next guests are going to explain how yeast is used in the beer brewing process and why it's our favorite single-celled microorganism. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Lance Shaner and Mark Schwartz. Thank you very much uh, for both joining us today on the uh, the show. Here, it's a uh, it's an absolute privilege Thanks. to have you guys on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So, uh, we're super excited to have you guys on because we refer to yeast quite a bit on this show. Obviously, because you know we're a brewery, and <laughs> it's one of the major parts of the whole the structure. So, for our listeners out there who have never brewed, and there's quite a few of them. What is yeast, and how is it used in the beer brewing process? Yep. So uh, yeast is one of you know the defining ingredients of beer. So water, malt, hops, and yeast. Um, yeast. Uh, the job of yeast is essentially to convert the sugars that brewers create in the brewing process that come from the barley malt um, into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Um, so and also produce some flavors along the way that we associate with beer, um, but it is a microorganism, so a very six, small, single-celled organism. Um, if we really want to get into it, it's a eukaryote, which is the same thing as we are. Uh, so it is. We are actually, you know, uh, more closely evolutionarily related to yeast uh, than yeast is to bacteria, which I think always is an interesting tidbit, and a lot of people don't appreciate. <laughs> yeah. that, um, yes, that's very. True. It's great to yeah. use at dinner parties. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, to the extent that back when I was in graduate school, we could take a human version of a gene and replace the yeast version inside the yeast cell and it would perform the same function. So we, we share a lot of kind of internal cellular, uh, machinery with yeast. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of brothers in that way. That's amazing. That is amazing. I, I mean, I know some of the history and whatnot. I mean, yeast is also predates humans on a lot of things. I mean, and I know they keep finding new strains and everything. I mean, some of the oldest coming out of like the, didn't they find a strain in uh, Argentina based off a tree sap or something that was related to a lager strain that was one of the predated like strains? I mean, it, it goes back so many years and yeast is such an interesting, interesting thing it to, to see and watch and do because I mean, just by changing degrees of Fahrenheit within a beer, it can change the flavor profile completely. I mean, I think it plays the biggest part for us in your yeast choice. I mean, if Obviously, we're so IPA heavy, and everybody's hops, hops, hops. But I think without the yeast, you, you know, you're gonna have a pretty bland beer. Yeah, I think. So I think yeast. Yeah, I think yeast is the sort of thing that the the brewer certainly appreciates its perform uh, or its role in it, and uh, and has a lot of care for it. But yeah, the beer drinker, the average beer drinker, is probably it's probably the last ingredient that they're thinking about. Uh, but it's probably maybe the first ingredient that the brewers are thinking about. Absolutely. This is Mark real quick, but, uh, you know, Lance is the Ph.D. in microbiology and had been homebrewing for a long time. And he is uh, essentially the yeast guy. And I didn't really know much about yeast at all when I started this company. Um, And what I find fascinating now that I've been in it almost 10 years is each yeast strain has its own story. Like you just were mentioning Argentina or some come from Norway. So that's the part I always find fascinating is each yeast has its own kind of uh, story, which is is fun on the branding and marketing side to kind of tell the, the story of each yeast as well. But yes, each behave wildly different too. So they're as complex creatures as humans almost at times, it <laughs> yes, seems. Absolutely. It was a very romanticized journey back then. So what was the yeast market like back then? I'm trying to think, you know, back then, what was there? What did you have? Um, why yeast? And, um, and why yeast? White Labs and right. uh, BSI are kind that, of that was about it, right then. Yeah, that was it. That was the older crew, and we're the first of the new new wave of the yeast companies. So, um, I mean, you guys finance it yourselves. Obviously, there was a, a demand, or you know, a, there was a void there per se of yeast manufacturers in the United States. You know, because I remember <clears throat> even starting in 2015 into 2014, like. The only way for us to get yeast was for me to order from White Labs out in California or Y Yeast up in Oregon, and then hoping that the yeast made it here in time, didn't get caught up in, in transit, and by the time, you know, because it happened numerous times where it got caught up in transit, get delayed two days, and we can't brew, and then by the time we get the yeast, the yeast is already active and going at it inside the bag, and then you're just like, is this even viable anymore? Can we even use this? I mean, so then right. you, you guys come along, and I know there's a few other upstarts, and it it has definitely made the world of brewing a lot easier and a lot more sure. smooth transaction, you know, having somebody a lot closer to our side. Yeah. Well, and a, a couple of comments on that, if you don't mind. Um, Absolutely. One, we were very fortunate that neither of us were in the brewing industry and neither of us were kind of in the microbiological testing, pharma, whatever industry, because both of those industries are very set in their ways. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. And, uh, we realized, you know, we basically just kept going back to customers and figuring out what can we do better for them. So we always kind of just came up with our own solution. So we're one of the few yeast companies that custom prop every order. Oh, okay. As opposed to making large quantities of yeast and they sit in a cooler. Right. And it puts onus on the brewer to like, okay, this is two weeks or two months old. How do I, what's the viability? Da, da, da. Yep. When you order from us, we don't even start making, propping the yeast till you order it. Wow. Uh, propping, okay. propagating or raising. Um, so they, we end up, you know, customers with us get a very consistent product every time, which really, you know, I think we've reduced the stress and allowed, allowed a lot of brewers to sleep much better at night. Nice. Um, nice. So we've been kind of fortunate being, quote, outsiders as we didn't know how to prop yeast and scale that <laughs> up. So kind of we end up being fortunate as we ended up, you know, over the years of evolution, our prop systems very different, I think, than our competitors based on what the competitors can offer and how quick or what. 
we we definitely prop very different than everyone else. Well, I mean, that's, that was kind of my next question to you guys. Like, I know how to start a brewing company. You know, you need, obviously, mash ton, kettles. You need fermenters. You need bright tanks. You know, you need hot, cold liquor tanks. You need CO2. You need, you need a canning line. You need all this. How do you start a yeast company? <laughs> we we had to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I mean, if you were to walk into our space now, it looks, uh, at this stage in our evolution, a lot like a brewery. I mean, right. we actually even have a, uh, a brew house. So we, we've kind of evolved that along the way. We used to use malt extract, switch to um, using malt with an actual brew house, um, which gives us a lot of stability with ingredients and things like that. Um, uh, and, you know, our propagation tanks look a lot like uh, a, a tank you'd see in a brewery, except, you know, we've got means to kind of recirculate and keep things moving the whole time to kind of speed up the growth process and maximize the amount of yeast growth. So, I mean, it, it looks a lot like it just with some kind of subtle changes that, you know, if you're a brewer, you'd notice those uh, differences in our space. But in the early days, being an engineer, I, I kind of, it was very satisfying as we, we basically built the system with the money we had at the scale that we were at. And then we were fortunate as we grew, we were able um, to pour every dollar of profit back into the business. Wow. And luckily, Lance and I are not fancy people because uh, we just kept doing that for many, many, many years. And every time we kind of grow at an inflection point, we'd have to almost rethink our entire prop system. Nice. Um, so a lot of it was some trial and error, some, you know, you know, Lance, both of our different backgrounds and problem solving. But uh, at the end of the day, it was really it was a really fun journey in retrospect. Going through it at the time was very stressful at, yeah, at times. Yeah. Um, but we were very fortunate. I mean, we've had maybe now, what do you think, seven or eight iterations of our prop tank as we've scaled. Uh, we keep doing things just better and differently. And we, I guess I like to say we stay hungry and humble as, you know, we always can be doing things better. So nice. Always. Yes, absolutely. Fun to just keep reinventing the wheel almost every time we <laughs> right. have to scale. But, I mean, we doubled every year for you know up to COVID seven wow. seven years yeah and so to keep up with with something like that you know with phys, you know physical equipment is tough and oh, yes. getting new buildings new spaces new everything just keep keep going <laughs> so it was it was quite a journey so I got a question Lance in in a layperson's terms or can you briefly describe how yeast is propagated how you would even prop a yeast strain from the ground up yeah i mean it's just uh it's just a uh, to put it most simply it's just uh continual feeding so you we start very small so we're starting uh you know if you've seen a petri dish that's got um little colonies of yeast so it's just a, a pile of yeast sitting on a plate uh scrape up some of that in an aseptic manner so you're not you know contaminating it with anything else around it right and put that into a small flask um and let that grow up it grows up and then you go to a larger vessel and let that grow up and let go to a larger vessel let that grow up uh all the way along the line doing you know quality checks to make sure that it's still uh pure that you haven't introduced any other bacteria and any other wild yeast um so it's, it's just feeding i mean we're in many ways, we're uh, farmers. We're like uh, yeast farmers, just raising our, our animals, get, getting them the right food at the right time and letting them thrive uh, to, to the point where we've got enough cells that we can collect them and send them off to the, to the brewer to make beer. I don't have that kind of experience, but I remember back in my home brewing days, I would take, you know, this is like not even close to you guys, but like taking the dregs out of a Cantillon bottle because you can't get those strains of that wild bacteria. I'm talking like back in 2007, 2008 and like slowly starting with like a starter gravity of like 3.5 Play-Doh at a very low sugar and then start feeding it consistently, let it grow and grow to a point that it's actually viable. And then I would introduce it to certain, you know, warts that were ready and then inoculate them with the wild yeast strains and go from there. But it's definitely not on that scale because that just sounds like that's a constant, constant thing. And it, if I'm correct, you guys have 75 different strains? Um, yeah, as far as like the st number of strains listed in kind of the public catalog, that's probably the neighborhood we're in. Um, it's, you know, as far as the strains we have frozen away in the free, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of strains wow. frozen away that are a part of, you know, R&D processes and 
uh, just strains that we don't necessarily commercialize. But yeah, the 75 uh, essentially publicly listed that could be ordered at any time. How long does frozen it away? Oh, yes. Ne- let's say frozen away at negative 80 Celsius too, not just a regular freezer. <laughs> uh, we don't want them mutating it <laughs> at all. Right? That's big for us is to keep keep the original DNA strain because a lot of times those will evolve over time uh for a brewer for instance after right. however many 18 generations that are mutating a lot yeah because that i mean that's another thing like that we kind of see on our side and obviously people don't understand or know that either is like after you, you i mean it really depends i think it's strain indicative like for us we use a hefeweizen strain on our house beer and i think we can go about three generations in and then it starts to go neutral and lose all of its esters so then it's like it's not viable for us anymore because it doesn't carry that banana or the clove because it's already gone neutral and it's already mutated. But that's a preference thing from you, too. Well, no, I, but I, that goes for everybody. <laughs> but, I mean, listen, when I worked at Cigar City, I mean, they would run, you know, 20-plus generations deep on their house strain. Yeah. You know, and it would just be the same yep. thing. And then after that, you would start to see the mutations. you get that deep, and then all of a sudden, you're picking up other stuff that's getting carried over, and it, like, changes the whole flavor profile. So... Well, then... Go ahead. Now I was going to say, and brewers call each batch a generation, yes. but biologically, there's actually, you know, five, seven, Lance can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, per batch, you're getting seven biological generations. Oh, wow. So is that right about seven, Lance? I think they, probably more, more three to five, but point remains, yeah. Okay. So each batch is three to five. So 10 generations to a brewer in reality is 50 biological generations. Whoa. Okay. I had no idea. That's amazing. That's, so, that's why you have a lot more mutation going on by generation 10. Think of 50 generations of any evolution, right? And right, mutations along the way. So we just ordered a pitch of Cosmic Punch from you guys that we uh, pitched yesterday into a, a, a new beer. So I'm wondering, that's cool. what, like three to five generations old already, technically? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it might be even more than that, I guess, coming from us, since we're starting with a small amount and building it up so much. Uh, there's, yeah, um, it'd probably be more in the five to ten uh, from where from where we start. But yeah. and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to take any kind of financial, you know, like lean or anything, but like as a recommendation from you guys... On a consistent average, how often should brewers be replacing their yeast? Uh, that, that is a, we've gotten that question a lot over the years, and it's really one that we, it's impossible to answer because it depends on so many variables that are outside of our control. Okay. Um, so if, you know, if you're brewing a 4% uh, ABV blonde ale that has minimal hops, right. uh, I mean, you could probably go... 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 generations, depending on which strain you're using and kind of how stable that right. strain is. Okay. Uh, and, and if you're brewing, you know, on a weekly basis, so you're collecting that yeast when it's at its maximum health, repitching it into a fresh, uh, a fresh wort, you can go a long ways. If you're brewing an 8% heavily dry, double dry hopped uh, right. beer, yes. you know, that's not good for the yeast. Uh, maybe you get two generations out of that. Uh, so it's so dependent on you know how you use it, um, how frequently you're brewing, and all that. It, that you know could be one, it could be fifty, right? <laughs> depending Understood. on your use yeah. case. So alcohol level. Go ahead. I was going to say yeah, your alcohol levels, your acid, you know, pH, pH levels. Like there's yeah, there's just too many variables. Right, uh, right, because so like not- right, depending on the gravity of the starting of the beer, like. Typically, you know, if you, for us, like if we do an imperial stout, we're actually growing that yeast off of a lower alcohol beer because once you introduce it to a 32 plus starting gravity Play-Doh beer, the amount of stress that is put on that yeast basically kind of wipes it out after producing a 12, 11, 12% beer. I mean, it's pretty much done. Like you, yeah, exactly. it's not recommended to take that yeast, propagate that yeast off that beer and try to <laughs> reuse it because it's been so stressed out. I can speak from like an economic basis from a brewery side, especially, you know, because when we started, obviously there were no Kvike strains and typical turn times for beers were 14 to 21 days. And now you guys have brought in a yeast strain, which kind of goes against all rules, you know, kind of, you know what I mean? And it's like, you really don't need temperature control. Like, like, I don't need to set the jackets. 
like in the beer, you know, typically if you did not set jackets on a beer, you were worried about off flavors, all types of things going wrong. And now with this, I mean, basically this thing can ferment at 90 plus degrees and knock your beer out in two to three days and you're ready to go. I mean, you're turning package much faster, getting beer out the door much faster, which in an economic adds up to more money for the brewery. So I think it's been a very overall great impact for breweries. It's spending less on tanks and having to do all these capital expenditures, yep. uh, you know, expanding. So, I mean, breweries and just like us being capital, you know, uh, intensive is, is hard, you know, and oh, it's yes. great. Absolutely. Get more, more, uh, more, more turns and more, more beer out of the same equipment. Yep. Absolutely. So I got a question for you because I know you guys still sell to home brewers, what percentage of your revenue would you say comes from selling to home brewers versus pro brewers? A, a large majority is pro brew. Yeah. Just in general. But they're two very different markets. Um, you know, the home brew market as a whole is not seen quite. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Here's my, my just <laughs> seeing, you know, not, not my dad used to homebrew back in the early 90s. And right. basically, uh, if you wanted good beer in the nineties, you had to brew it yourself. Uh, <laughs> yes. and since what 2011 here, 2012, right. there's been such an explosion of, of craft beer. You can go get craft beer to somewhere else. So I think there's been a couple of different like waves of people coming in and out of homebrew, but as a whole, it's a, it's uh not a, a fast growing market by any means compared to the growth craft brew have seen. But you know, at the end of the day, we, we like working with both, but, you know, we really pride ourselves on helping the, the pro brewer, the commercial brewer in any way we can. But, you know, we really like going back to, you know, the, the roots, you know, talking to home brewers and getting the word out and doing homebrew club meetings and meeting people is always fun, too. Of course. So how many how many employees did you guys start with? Obviously, just the two of you, I, I'm assuming. And just the two of us. <laughs> and how, how many employees do you guys have? now present day um i think we were just over 50 oh, in the 50s, okay, somewhere there. <laughs> okay. Uh, slow slow and steady uh wherever we need help but um yeah it's been kind of it's been like i said quite quite the journey that is awesome i got uh out of these out of your strains you would say lance what is your favorite strain out of all of your choices and your index there and why? So you're so you're asking me to name my favorite child? Yes, basically. <laughs> Everyone has a favorite yes, they child. Do. You yes. might love them yes. all the same, yes. but there's always a favorite child. Absolutely. Yeah. Sophie. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I guess the way I answer that question is if I put, if I was starting a brewery, right. uh, like which strain would I? pick as my house strain is kind of how I attack that question. So, uh, and that, it might be a boring choice, but like uh, our British ale one, just because it's a good uh, workhorse strain, uh, you get nice large crops from it. It's very flocculent, so it'll drop out and give you a nice clear beer. It actually even works well in hazy IPAs. It's just a flexible strain that you can tweak with the ester profile, depending on your fermentation temperature. It's just a a good all-purpose strain. Um, so I, so I, I take a very practical approach to choosing my favorite strain. <laughs> nice. John picked uh, Chico yeast for his favorite strain. So oh, that I mean that that was the workhorse. <laughs> I mean that's the you know it. Yeah, I mean it did you know our IPA. It does our stouts. I mean it does a lot of things. It does yeah our yeah. sours too. Yeah, that was our. Have you, that's our have you tried the Star Party? If you tried our thialized Chico, then you should check that out. It's pretty Ooh. interesting. Okay, so you're you're, you're, throwing, you're throwing bait out there. I'm gonna have to try it now. <laughs> you like Chico, and it and with these thialized strains, we've kind of found less is more. So okay, you know, honestly, just do one of your favorite recipes exactly the same, but just switch out the yeast, and it's wild how how much different flavor you'll get. Okay, absolutely. We're gonna actually, I'll have Maria order some today. <laughs> so, I do have uh, one last question for you guys. So for any, like any aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this right now, what advice would you give them in starting and growing a successful business like you guys did? I mean, you guys were already pretty accomplished, you know, in your backgrounds being attorneys, obviously PhD in microbiology, you know, electrical engineer, 
And then, I mean, I have a master's in accounting, and I left that to open a brewery. You know what I mean? So what advice would you get, give to somebody trying to upstart a new business? Lance and I are probably a very different advice. So I don't know if you have any, Lance, you want to start with, but. Um, I, I mean, finding a niche is a, you know, an important thing, I guess. Uh, but I mean, it's one of the I think biggest keys to our success is really kind of our different interests. Right. Um, and so um, I, you can obviously start a business by yourself. People do that. But I think what has allowed us to do so well is that we both have kind of our niches and we don't really like bother each other within our niches. We <laughs> right. kind of we trust each other to take care of the the tasks that we do best. The other thing I think a lot of people don't they just underestimate is branding. I mean branding oh, is what one thousand um conveying your value, conveying who you are and you know not just your value but that your values and who you you know who you are. So the other piece of advice is f- find a good network, get, you know, find through, through whomever, a good accountant, um, a yeah. good kind of general attorney, You're, you know, we have a good um, banker for, you know, we, we've grown through, through debt, find a good uh, trademark attorney, you know, just, you kind of build out your, your branding person, you know, kind of your network of people. And that's really, I think one of the most important things to, I, to keep you successful and and covering your ass as time goes on. Yeah, I, will, I will definitely say oh that your website is very aesthetically pleasing and it's not just Thank fluff. You. you get all the information that you need and and just a clear explanation on maybe a strand you've never even heard of right. um, that you may want to use. So well, I'm happy to hear that. So yeah, besides me saying stay hungry and humble to to our team all the time. The other thing we say a lot is we take yeast very seriously and nothing else. That's awesome. So as a whole, we like to have fun. We're kind of, you know, as you notice, I'm apparently getting into tropical print flannels right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, as a whole, Lance and I, you know, aren't overly in people's faces and serious. Like we really think, you know, we, we take pride in our culture, I guess would be another thing. Just the nice. culture is very important. Um, but we take yeast seriously and, and branding and all that seriously too. So I really appreciate the comment that you uh, like our website. Well, I want to thank you guys. The uh, idea is to make it easy on you guys as best we can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's been very helpful for sure. And I want to thank both of you very much for your time today. This has been uh, an awesome, awesome time. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks Thanks for having us. It was fun. Anytime, man. And uh, now I have to go order the thialized uh, Chico strain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Jordan Weisberg, Lance Shaner, and Mark Schwartz, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.